Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Which student would like to do the next question? My question was, how do you plan to keep students in school safe? That is an excellent question. And I will say this parent wants to know too. I will just start and kick it off. And I'll say that that is something that we're all going to have to work together on. So we know that we have the okay to say hotlines. We need students. If you see something, say something. That is the priority. So we want everybody to be committed to school safety and know that it will be investigated and addressed. We are excited about, you know, the dollars that have been allocated for school districts in terms of resource officers. We're glad that there's been additional training around threat assessment throughout the state. All of our, I know the two ISDs on this call have definitely continued with threat assessment training, you know, for staff who are signing up for the training so that we understand, you know, the parameters, what we're looking for. I also am glad that there are additional dollars for mental health supports. And so, you know, school safety is really not about a complete hardening of a school and or resource officer, but it is about all things, which include mental health. It is about social emotional learning, the CASEL framework. It is about having social workers. I know one of the questions was about could funding or would funding be used for social workers? It's about securing social workers. But I will also share that with the funds being there, we also have to continue to ramp up that pipeline. So that's another talent pipeline that is in need of assistance. So I hope some of the students on this call are considering, if not being an educator, maybe being a social worker, maybe being an, I mean, the workforce, there are just lines here that we could use your talent in every angle in our schools. But school safety is critical. It is most important. And it is all of us, all hands on deck. If you're in the airport, they say it all the time. If you see something, say something. That's the school mantra too now. If you see something, say something. Use those anonymous lines. Report things. Tell things. And it's not being a snitch. It's about being a concerned student that wants to keep each and every person safe. So I would say that it's just, there is no one size that fits all when it comes to school safety, but it is all of us working together and making sure that the funding is there so that we do have those pieces that we need inside of our schools, which includes the mental health supports. You know, in addition to what Dr. Kovac has shared, one of the things that we have done at the beginning of the year, and we will do again in March, two things. One, we had a safety summit. We had the sheriff, we had the chief of police, we had the home security person, and then the team from each district come together to make sure, one, we're all on the same page, we all know what the crisis plan is, and that we've all had training, and to look at that training across the county. So that's one thing that we've done, is bringing all the stakeholders together. The second, as you know, in Oakland County, we had a shooting a year ago in November in Oxford, and it has heightened our thinking about safety. We're working with Professor Jim Henry out of Western Michigan University to work with the staff so that the staff can help to create a safe environment, decreasing bullying and other things that lead to violence and unsafe situations. Also, helping teachers to deal with stress. You know, I know students are stressed by the safety threats. We just had one in Michigan, you know, what, yesterday or the day before. But teachers are stressing as well. So we're doing professional development and we're doing that professional development just in time. 
meaning we're going into the classrooms, into the high schools, into the middle schools, into the elementary schools, and training them in real time. So we are looking at all those efforts, as well as the mental health piece. Dr. Colbert and I led a mental health summit, which also talked about safety, also talked about how we train teachers and parents to observe. And it is okay to say, thank you for lifting that, Dr. Colbert, because the most critical individual in this are the students. The students know what's going on. When I was a teacher, the students could tell me what was happening when I walked down the hallway. You must share that information and have to be a part of the safety equation. You're listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. We'll be back. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. I actually wanted the students to define safety because we're speaking on safety as uh, more physical is what I'm hearing from my two colleagues. But I think about safety that's not just enacted on a physical level, but enacted on a more subtle level, right? So when I ask educators, is their classroom safe? I want you to think about cultural safety, right? Spiritual safety. Can my students walk in your class and be who they are? You not police who they are, right? You don't create more trauma for them when you know we're coming from a pandemic. These students are coming from different environments. How are we lifting up who they are and making sure we're centering the safety of them and in their cultural safety? Like, can they be black in your classroom and fully alive, right? Or are we going to police them for using some of the slang that they use? Your classroom is violent. I'm going to be honest. I honestly believe there's no such thing as safe spaces for students of color in American schools. Schools are inherently violent spaces for students of color. And we have to have some self-reflection as educators. How are we creating that unsafe environment for our young people? Because I've done it, right? I've been there in my first year writing referrals because somebody came in my class dancing instead of sitting down, right? Now I gave that student contact with the juvenile justice system by just writing their name on a referral. So how am I creating safety for them as an educator as well? And not just think about the physical safety, right? But the uh, something that's connected on a much subtle level, but potentially far more dangerous because that spiritual, cultural, and mental safety is very important to our students as well as making sure they're physically safe in the classroom as well. I definitely second that, what you just said. The culture climate is very important. You got to change that culture climate. What about the restorative circles that could take place in every classroom, five minutes, 10 minutes? You got to build a climate that students feel safe around each other, students feel safe around teachers, because we got to really look at the teachers now are bullying students. They are seeing harmful, threatful things, shaming students. This is happening. They add to this environment of students not being safe. So how do we come together and actually talk about restorative practices every day in the classroom where we're taking those five, ten minutes to get to know each other, what's going on? It can't just happen 
oh, this month we're going to have restorative circle as a community. Next month, then, too, how are we going to feed into the actual community? How are we connecting the community, meaning these families? Because it goes beyond, when we think about safety, it goes beyond just what happens in school. I know our focus is in schools, but communities comes inside school. So how do we actually have healing circles within the school environment? How does that actually look? We got to change our thinking. As our last speaker just said, we got to change the way we think about school safety in general. Yep, we got a lot of times a kid may come to class and they may uh, had a hard day, just simply had a hard day. And now they're experiencing some behaviors. Now since they're experiencing some, some behaviors, that teacher may actually start calling that student out inappropriately for behaviors. Now you're going to escalate that feeling between that teacher and that student. That is also harmful. It's not just student-to-student violence. It also comes from top down to students. And I also want to encourage, this is why I encourage teachers to live in the neighborhoods in which they teach in, because you see how that violence shows up in community and you'll become a community member because that violence doesn't just start in a classroom. It's before they get there. Because some of y'all go home to your suburban cul-de-sacs at the end of the day and leave the students to deal with the sins of this nation on their own, while you should be a community member, not only in the school, but in the community as well. So you should be going to these school board meetings, city council meetings, advocating for your students, whether you live there or not, because you should be a community member dealing with the violence at the root cause and not just in the classroom. I think that goes back to that internalized racial oppression, especially as it relates to black students, black teachers, or teachers of color, or students of color. How are they actually internalizing what those messages are? It creates a harmful situation because if you're having students that are having behaviors or they're fighting and things like that, if you're actually paying attention to that student, you can see their triggers before it even starts. But now we got to learn how to reconnect, rehumanize our students as it relates to violence. We got to rehumanize humanize their experiences that's going on to school. It's just a disconnect. We'll be back on the Michigan Business Network. This is Transform Michigan. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Follow Transform Michigan at Transform Michigan on social media. Thank you both for uplifting that the other piece of safety that's not just physical. That is so important. And I think it goes back to educating the whole child and the whole conceptual framework of a school community. And to Sherry's statement earlier about needing to rework the education system wholesale, if you will, and I'm paraphrasing, but it shows that these are, yeah, when you're traumatized, you can't learn, you can't work. And then therefore you can't make the necessary achievements that you want to make. So we're talking about having to address all of these issues so that school is not just physically safe, but also as you said, Dr. Darby, spiritually and emotionally safe as well.
we've got another couple of questions. We have a question about the third grade reading law. So just the other day, yesterday, on the Senate side, so the third grade reading law in 2016 was signed into law. And there is a piece of it that currently holds students back in third grade if they are not proficient based on the various standardized tests. Back when that bill was passed, Sherry and I were in the house when that bill was passed. There was the MEEP. It's now the M-STEP. Yesterday on the Senate side, we passed Senator Dana Polhanke, who is the chair of the Senate Education Committee, her bill to remove the retention portion of the law and to keep the things in the law that educators have said are working and also adding that when the child does go on to fourth grade, that they will still have those literacy supports, follow them for that entire school year. So that bill passed out of the Senate. Dr. Race, in fact, was one of the people who testified in committee when we heard it in committee last week. And it now moves on to the House, and hopefully they will also get it moved on to the governor. So I'm happy to be able to share some good news. We have another question. Since that was a really short question, I'm going to ask this other question from Angela Hood. What steps can we take to begin to change and address the disparate school funding model? There are so many things that we can do. Last year, in the budget that we passed in the legislature, we did make some equitable changes so that schools that were funded at lower levels did get a higher foundation allowance. However, as Sherry Gay Dagnogo said earlier, we need to change Prop A, which is the tax law, basically, that decides based on property values, where, how much funding is going to various districts in the nutshell. So that's something that we need to look at. And I'm sure that there are others on here who also have ideas about how we can change those funding models. You're listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. We'll be back. Place keeps changing, and successful companies recognize and embrace change through choice, adaptability, and innovation. DBI offers affordable furniture solutions for countless workspace options that will enhance the performance of your people and organization. DBI helps customers reach their workplace goals from improving worker effectiveness and innovation to brand expression. DBI is your office furniture partner. Learn more at dbiguess.com. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Most of my questions deal with homework and how like homework affects like school children. So like I have a few questions that I would like to share. And my questions are, with the growing student population not benefiting from homework, what is your strategy for making homework more effective for both students and teachers? 
I know that homework has been a growing concern for many students because many of us are not recollecting much information from it. So how can we switch the growing attitude towards homework to something more beneficial for students? And then I have another question after that. I can chime in. I wish my students was in a room. I'd never give out homework. I'm a researcher. So I'm always like looking at the data, right? Because I can sit here and, and argue with, you know, people about homework, but we can argue with the data. So I'm always going to present the data. So if you're not attacking me, you can attack the data and look crazy because it's a fact. Homework does not work. So it doesn't work. Why do we give it out? The particular students I taught also had to go home and be grownups. They have to do the same things I did, fix food, wash clothes for their siblings the next day. So I wanted you to be able to go home and skip the homework and be a young person. Because a lot of the youth I taught were forced to grow up before they were grown, unfortunately. But also just looking at the evidence, homework did not work. But I'm more of a um, project-based educator. So I gave a lot of projects where it was, you know, go in your community and collect some of this qualitative data that says this, because that's related to your project-based learning project, right? So that was the homework. It wasn't a physical paper that I'm giving out because evidence says me trying to teach you grammar and homework does not work. So if we're giving out too much homework, we need to think about the students we're teaching. Some students need homework. Like my son needs homework. I'm going to be honest. My son comes home. So I give him homework personally, but again, it's not a sheet of paper. It's homework that we can do together, such as an activity that's related to what he's learning in class. So if he's learning about, you know, China or whatever, we're now going and watching videos together on that subject versus it just being a piece of paper, like she said, does not retain information if we look at the data on that. I'll also say that I've noticed a decrease of homework. I don't see a lot of my parents are now saying, hey, my kid don't have homework. And so I actually see it's going down. That homework is going down. But again, as um, she just stated, sometimes you do have those students who need homework, especially those students that's working on the IEP and their goals and things like that. Those particular students may need to work on those skills in order to retain those skills. But in general, I am seeing a decrease in homework. Okay, thank you. I really appreciate those answers. My second question still has to pertain to homework. And it's, you know, I know that we live in a, you know, technological age and that opens up more avenues for different homework opportunities, like different types of homework. Many teachers still do not take into consideration the need for individualized learning pathways in order to properly facilitate equitable spaces for learning. I would like to know, what are we doing to make homework more engaging and meaningful for children with different learning preferences and needs? And, you know, is technology like going to be a big catalyst in that? Like, are we heading towards technology to help that problem? Well, let me share. The teachers that I've talked to about homework, first of all, when I was a teacher, I gave homework. I didn't give homework every night. But I did give homework at least once or twice a week. And often I would give the answer and have students come back with how they solved that because I wanted to help them with their critical thinking and problem solving skills. But the teachers that I've talked with have moved more to a project based kind of homework. I know my grandchildren, even when they come home with their homework, it's activities that actually engage the whole family in problem solving skills critical thinking, seeking to understand, and so on. So that's what I've noticed lately. Not an increase in the volume of the homework, but in a change in how the homework is given and what's requested of the student, the skills. Correct. I would say that homework, if given, 
should reinforce skills learned inside of the school day. There definitely shouldn't be homework that asks for you to use something other than some prior knowledge. So in the event that it is, there should be, again, a reinforcement of prior knowledge. And many districts have started to have homework hotlines and ways in which you can connect this support and or one-on-one tutors to also assist in the event that there were some concerns, even with the homework, which we find that there are concerns with the homework. Homework should never be used as a tool of busyness or busy work, that it should never be. In the event that it is given, it should be something that is engaging, as Dr. Wanda Cook-Robinson said, some kind of project in some cases. And like I said, in all cases, should be a reinforcement of skills or prior knowledge, skills learned, never new knowledge or something for you to Google research and or struggle to try to figure out. That should never be the basis for homework. We'll be back on the Michigan Business Network. This is Transform Michigan. When you fly Lansing, you are just one stop away from over 500 amazing global destinations. The Capital Region International Airport, your gateway to the world. Visit flylansing.com for more information. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. So this will be our last question. And we also, like you said, not every question will be asked and answered today. So we do plan on, as PPM, we do plan on coming back next time to ask more questions and to participate as well because very fun and positive environment. So our last question is, what is being done to address the growing issue of gun violence in schools? I can assure you that educators, not only across my county, but across the state, are working to address that issue. We're working with law enforcement. We're working with the sheriff's department, with the local law enforcement to not only structure a plan to keep the schools safe, but how do we keep the guns from coming into the schools? There are discussions about a lot of strategies to do that. There are discussions also about a lot of software and tools that are available. I know I was recently at a conference where it was shared with us software that worked off the internet that will detect metal as the students come into school. There's also been discussions about metal detectors, having those in schools. There's been discussions about looking at resurfacing the windows in schools so that they have um, metal wiring them that won't break and so on. So there are a variety of efforts underway and they are continuous. But I can't tell you, you know, depending on the district, each district gets to make that decision. I know Dr. Cobra and I are intermediate school districts, meaning we're at the county. So I can't speak for every school district in Oakland County, but what I can tell you is what they're looking at and what they're considering and what their discussions are about. I can add to that various local school districts are making those investments in keeping schools safer 
making sure that students, my kids just last week had some lockdown drills. And those are some of the ways that the issue of gun violence and protecting against firearm violence in our schools are being addressed. There is legislation that is being worked on around the broader concept of firearm violence protection that was introduced last term. And of course, we're in a new term. It's only been a month of the legislature of this current 102nd legislature beginning again. And so those are things that the leads on those bill packages around protecting all of our communities from unnecessary gun violence is being worked on in the legislature. So it's a very important issue. And when I was in the legislature, actually, I had legislation move forward. I just was in awe and shocked that we didn't have a database, a registry that would indicate out of all of our state's school districts, which schools actually had school resource officers and those that did not. Luckily, DPS has its own police force, but that's unique to a number of districts across our state. And so I still think that, you know, we should have something more comprehensive that helps to highlight what is in all of our districts across the entire state, as we don't want the lives of any of our children to be lost. But as we look to reset the culture in our schools, I heard Dr. Cook Robinson talk about the software. There's also software that would scan communication on computers that if an individual posted a note or in the social media space as well, if they wrote that they were going to kill themselves or they were going to kill somebody, there is an ongoing kind of digital surveying of things that might be put into writing and or a picture of violence, a weapon, et cetera. So that's one way. But of course, you know, technology is not the only way. You're listening to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. Follow us on Facebook at Transform Michigan. We'll be back. Physicians Health Plan is local. For 35 years, we've been a part of your community, and we take pride in helping you get the coverage, care, and personal service you deserve. Go to phpmichigan.com for more information. We're the health plan that works for you. Welcome back to Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network. I went through a phase when I first came to the board of students, you know, as we dealt with the whole issues of George Floyd and police brutality, defunding the police terminology used. And so many activists were in a move to police officers outside the school. Um, now we are having conversations that, again, are talking about how do we build our schools or harden our existing schools? How do we make sure that when someone does have a weapon, we can be made immediately aware that there is a weapon. I too had a summit at Communications Media Arts, but that was when I was a legislator. And we talked to our students about removing the stigma of being a snitch. 
many of you are our leaders and you can help diffuse some of the challenges that we have by simply, as we talked about earlier, saying something. But I realize our students have to feel safe and know that whatever they share will be taken seriously and will be held confidential. And so as we reimagine and re-envision our schools, knowing that our students feel a part of the solution, that's what we want to do because your voice is needed. If you heard of some fight that's going to take place, if you heard that there's an issue that is escalating, that you can help diffuse that situation and being a part of the decision-making as well, that takes leadership in our buildings and that takes sometimes more time, but certainly we realize that it will save lives. And so there's not one answer, but in addition to reimagining what security should look like, when I kind of, my second year on the board, there was a decision that was being made about laying all of our officers off or offering them retirement packages. And, you know, I thought, especially after the Oxford shooting, that wasn't very smart. And so I had conversations and thankfully that's changed, but we don't have a campus model where we can deploy officers to schools in a very quick way. And some schools have on-campus security ongoing, but I just think it's important that we're able to fund it. And we do have dollars that have been provided at the federal level to have, have more officer presence. But I think parents have to be a part of that conversation because there was a huge voice or movement to call police officers to get rid of officers. And we need to help maintain the physical safety, preventing even violence from coming out of the community into our buildings. Those things are important. You know, and I would say on the flip side of things, definitely, well, it's a and thank you. No, we definitely want to make sure, you know, guns are not coming into the building. And also as it relates to some of those other threats, like bomb threats that people may use on social media and things like that. Like, for instance, I'm dealing with a situation now to where a student has been out of school since November because allegedly he made such a bomb threat. And after the Michigan State Police actually scrubbed his phone, there was no evidence that it came from any of his accounts, no conversations, no nothing that linked the student to it. And unfortunately, this particular school itself is moving forward with trying to still expel this kid from school. And now it's sitting in the superintendent's office. It was actually somebody within the school made an appeal on the student's behalf because they know that this student did not do it. They made an appeal. And it's sitting on the superintendent's desk right now. And we're looking like, how long are they going to make a decision? This student has been out of school since November. And so it's like a catch-22 here. It's like, yes, we want to maintain safety. Yes. And what about these students that's not doing these things and they're still being penalized because of whatever reason. And so how do we address that? Those are excellent questions. And I think that we can definitely incorporate them in our second segment next week at the same time. I want to thank everybody 
for your participation. I want to thank everyone who stayed on for being engaged. Apologies for not getting to all of the questions, but we will get answers to you when we send out the recording, once the recording has been buffered and is ready. This has been such an important and engaging conversation this evening. And clearly we do not have enough time, but I think we are tackling and talking about the very things that we know are needed to ensure that there's educational justice and that it's not just about, as one of our superintendents said at the beginning, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but also educating the whole child and incorporating the entire school and learning community. I want to thank Dr. Sarita Darby. Thank you so much. Dr. Javita Colbert. Dr. Wanda Cook-Robinson, Dr. Pamela Pugh, Janae Moore, my former colleague, Sherry Gay-Dagnogo, Miracle Ray Davis, Shania Bickerson-Smith, Angela Waters-Austin, Lakia Martin, thank you so much for being able to phone in, my district director, Econom and Obong, and Dr. Michael Race, thank you for being here to listen. And hopefully these are things that will help inform improving educational policy, but also educational practices. We hope to see many of you again next week. Our next two programs in this series, it has been a long day, are February 16th and February 23rd. I want to thank you all and have a good night. Thank you for joining us on Transform Michigan on the Michigan Business Network.